Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm uh, doing great. A little tired because it's late. Yeah. I had a, had a weird sleep today of, or last night because I had to get up at like 4.45 to drive my mom to the airport. My, my mom was in town. Yeah. Uh, for th- for Thanksgiving and we had a we had a grand time you know uh, she was in town I took her uh, to some movies and some other stuff we went down to Escondido went to the wineries um, mm-hmm. it, it was it was a grand time but I had to get up and drive her to the airport come back and then sleep a little bit more and then go to work yeah and then after work I went to uh, uh, it was actually a press screen I don't know if I ever mentioned. Because of the website. We try to keep the website and the podcast separate. You know what? They're but, two separate entities. Okay. I like to... No, thank you. But just for the purpose of the story, sometimes we get press invitations to press screenings. And I went to one, and now we're here. It's a, it's a late record, so I'm kind of uh, out of sorts and a little tired. I am under the weather, which is unfortunate because I'm going on a trip in two days that I've been looking forward to for like several months. And so, of course, why wouldn't I come down yeah. with uh, with a cold? I so. went to Comic-Con sick one year. And you uh, know what? I... I waited in line and, and, and drank in bars until it was all out of me. And by, so it was, it was about three of the five days at Comic-Con. This was 2009 uh, at Comic-Con. I was, uh, I was sick. It sounds miserable. And then it just, it's not like I was getting rest. I was getting a lot of liquid, haha. But, um, <laughs> and they, you know, they tell you rest in liquids, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, it just went away. Anyway. I mentioned mom was in town, mm. and uh, then we went to some movies. Friday night, we had we had a delicious hamburger at uh, Father's Office. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's no. great. You wouldn't like it. Um, oh, all right. Because it's the kind of place, it's a sort of a foodie kind of place, and there are no substitutions allowed. You, oh. get, the, you get the burger the way that they make it. Do they, do they offer one with just ketchup and mustard? No. In fact, there's no ketchup in the entire restaurant. Even if you get fries, it comes oh. with garlic aioli and not with ketchup. This burger is, it's like sort of oblong. It's on like a, like, like a, like a roll type of thing. Uh, it has on it um, applewood smoked bacon, caramelized onions, Gruyere cheese, Maytag blue cheese, and arugula. And it's one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. That's not the point, though, here. <laughs> Your disgusted face is not the point. Uh, have you, by the way, have you looked into the thing I was talking about off mic last week? No, I don't remember what you were talking about. Is it about. possible that you are a super taster? Oh, that's right. Uh, no, I have not looked into that. Um, okay. But it is, but don't get me wrong, I remember the, the term because I <laughs> like the idea of being, you know, the super taster. Because I have heard this thing that people who are super tasters, who have, I don't know, have more taste buds, they taste things more intently, prefer bland foods like you because flavorful stuff is too much for them to take sometimes yeah but textures uh, that's oh, also a problem okay. for me um so this is just a sort of uh, uh arrested culinary development for you yeah that's what it is okay yeah and something that i uh that i can't help so uh screw yourself <laughs> basically is what i'm saying uh, okay see i w- i came up with the super taster thing because that is actually something you can't help right so okay. but being squeamish about textures is something you can help is it why would I want to? Because I'm just saying I have I was a picky eater when I was a kid and I've grown out of it. I was a okay, I was a picky eater, but did that stop my parents from making me eat stuff? No. So I ate like enchiladas and lasagna and all kinds of stuff that everyone's like, enchiladas and lasagna, that's the best thing ever. No, I didn't like it, but I ate it anyway. Uh-huh. And you know what? I'm an adult now. Oh, I'm in charge. I'm calling the I shots. See what this is about. This all right? is not a problem with your taste buds. This is a problem. This is a psychological problem. That's entirely possible. <laughs> but at the very least, it's just it's one of those things like you know, you hear about people who whose parents like don't allow them to drink soda. It's like, okay, I'm an adult now. Time time to drink the soda. That's kind of me. Oh, okay. There <laughs> or you go. it was me. I, I don't drink as much soda. That's not true. I drink a lot of rum and coke. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is not the point. Your parents let, did le- let you drink a lot of rum as a kid though. Yeah, but never they wouldn't <laughs> let me have no mixers, they said. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, this is another point. We're, we're nearly five minutes into the show and... That's all right. This story is not very we, long. And we haven't talked about movies. Have we ever gone this far into the show without bringing up movies before? I think, uh, I think we've done entire shows not talking about movies. <laughs> I think you're probably right. And episode 250 is right on the corner. <laughs> Who knows what that's going to be about. Um, oh, boy. You guys are going to enjoy but, episode 250. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, like I said, we went to some movies Friday night after this burger at Father's Office. We went to the Arrow Theater, where you and I have been before, and I've been many times, mm-hmm. uh, to see uh, a 35 millimeter print of Singing in the Rain. It was, it was, it was a, it was great fun. It was a great print. It, um, I had never, I've never seen Singing in the Rain, you know, projected, you know, uh, from film or, or project. You know, I've never seen it on big screen at all before. Uh, and it's it's wonderful. The movie gets funnier every time. I revisit it every few years, and I find it funnier every time. And as you know, it's a movie that I I didn't particularly uh, care for. We uh, we I watched it when we were reviewing the costume designer whose name I do not recall. Walter, Walter Plunkett. Plunkett. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really care for the film, but if I had the opportunity to see it, you know, thirty five millimeter print, like on a really nice, you know, on a really big screen, like I'd probably take advantage of that. Yeah. But it's, I know you don't care for musicals, but it is it is the a kind of funny that I think you I would I would think you would appreciate. No, I do enjoy it. I do okay. enjoy the the comedy aspect of it. It's just like the weird like, it's really when it embraces the more abstract concept of the musical, like that that extended dance sequence, which with I like, love. Which it's fine on its own, but part of me is like, you know, it, I I. It, I'm always desperate for context. It's like, this uh-huh. is not in context at all. <laughs> well, the, my favorite thing is when it comes back from that, because that whole thing is just Gene Kelly describing it to the studio head. Mm. And when it comes back, like from this whole, it's like a seven and a half, eight minute mm. sequence or whatever, it comes back and the studio head's like, ah, I can't really picture it. I'll have to see it when it's done. <laughs> okay, see, that's that's funny. I can get on board with that. Um, and also the line I love, it's right at the beginning. We're first, we've met Lena Lamont, who has the, of course, Gene Hagen played her with the you know annoying uh, voice. Mm-hmm. Um, we've met her. She's obnoxious. Then we see her on screen, the premiere, and it cuts to the two young ladies in the audience. And the one turns to the other and says, she's so refined. I think I'll kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah, there's a lot. Again, there's a lot that I, I would venture to say I love about that film. But there's there's some stuff that just keeps me from really embracing right. it. Well, um, real quick. Did you know? Okay, so Gene Kelly's wife, by the way who um they were only married for about six years until he died she's 46 years his junior in fact like i was there with my mom this woman's a year younger than my mom uh and she she was gene kelly's wife for the last his third wife for the last six years of of his life uh, she introduced the film and told some stories and one thing i found really interesting that i didn't know is that he is he he is like sewn into his clothes so even when he's wearing a three-piece suit it's all one piece so that when he lifts his arms or dances about it stays together as hmm. you know you don't like see the undershirt you don't see the vest lifting yeah yeah shirt under it uh, i didn't know that that's interesting if you watch it again knowing that it's it's pretty clear and it looks great huh it's a great choice um anyway that's not the point the point is that before the movie my mom and their uh, mom and i got there uh early so we're sitting there and and, and talking uh and um over the course of the like forty minutes that we're there before the movie starts, we've got a seat in the middle of a row. Uh, first, my mom goes up and come to go to the bathroom and comes back and talk a little more. I get up and go to the bathroom. By the time I come back, there's still a good like a solid ten minutes before the even the previews are going to start. Mm-hmm. Um, both times, this guy down the aisle from us who had to didn't have to get up, who had to move his knees essentially, has an unbelievable fucking attitude about it. Okay. You like not he didn't. It was mostly it was just like glares and sighs. And then he was there like with that? his. He was yeah, uh, yeah. He was there with his son. And um, when I came back, I heard him say to his son, "Oh, here he comes again," or something like that. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know whether to be angry at this or just flabbergasted by it. Now, is this okay? I've heard two theories. My girlfriend's theory when I told her this is that this is a guy who doesn't go to the movies very often possible yes my friend and our friend of the show patrick star um his theory is that um this is a guy who goes to the movies constantly these kind of movies and wishes everyone would just uh behave exactly the way he wants them to all the time and never inconvenience him well here's the thing with that i i want to believe the first theory because i am the second theory and so but you uh, you wouldn't. I probably wouldn't do that. No. No. Not, but not the thing is. Not only would you not glare and sigh. You wouldn't think anything of moving your knees for someone well before the movie has started. No, I don't even really think about it when somebody 
you know, has to go to the bathroom during the movie. It's yeah, like, it's you know, a natural thing yeah, that happens. Nature calls. So, okay, I think I'm, I think I was a bit annoyed and angry at the guy at the time, but as the days have gone on, I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it, but I, I, yeah, I think I'm not angry anymore. I think I'm just confused. Okay. By what, what is going on in this guy's head? Yeah, I, I think it's probably, I think, uh, I think, uh, Natalie is, is correct. We say her name, right? I think we probably have. I think we have. Point. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think she's probably correct um, that he's just – that he doesn't see movies very often and uh, but does he not, maybe doesn't interact with people very often. That must be it. I mean does it – because it's not just movies. It's, I mean does he not ride airplanes? Does he not do anything else where you sit in row formation? I would like to su- make another suggestion. Uh-huh. Okay. Third option. Okay. This has nothing to do with – Going back and forth, he just finds you insufferable. And my mom? Did he sigh a lot with your mom? Yeah. Okay. I asked her. Okay. So maybe it's like that's clearly his mom. I don't like her either for bringing this horrible person into the world with his skinny ties. That's my theory. All right. I I don't wear particularly skinny ties. (laughs) Actually, I like your ties quite a bit. I know I make fun of them a lot, but I do do like them quite a bit. But – um. But no, that it is such a. It is such a. Was it just you guys next to him? Like, was there nobody else coming and going? Yeah, we were close enough to the end that he was. He and his son. I'm assuming he was there with a younger person. I'm assuming his son um, were the only thing between him and the aisle. There were more because we weren't dead centered. There were more people on the other side of us, which is why we chose to mm-hmm. go his way, where we would step over two people as opposed to four or five. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, but I'll, I'll say that like. I just uh, – it's just so exhausting now. Like every time every time I, I have an experience and uh, uh, my wife and a uh, and, uh, friend of the show, Josh Long and uh, Jason Eakin and various other people all went to go see a movie and someone was talking and Jason uh, confronted them in what actually sounded surprisingly civil for, for Jason <laughs> – um, you know, confronted him about it afterwards, and the guy was just really just was not having any of it. And every time I hear about something like that, I just feel like I just want Danforth France back. <laughs> I want him here because, and I want him, I want to pay him to just go to the movies with me because he's a tall guy, you know. And I want him to confront people, and I want to be there when it happens because they're not going to take a swing at him. He's a big guy, mm-hmm. and it's just like. It, it goes back to what what we've talked about before, which is like what at the I'd be this isn't totally true, but I'd be willing to deal with somebody talking for two hours if afterwards and you if you were to say something to them, they said like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Like if they said that, they acknowledge what I did was wrong. Uh-huh. But it's this idea of like, "No, I'm going to defend the terrible thing that I did." I I have been faced with the fact that I have inconvenienced somebody. I refuse to acknowledge it, even though this person just said it. Like, it's it frustrates me so much. And then, like, but then this other guy uh-huh. who acts as though he's being, you know, as far as he's concerned, you're the guy who's talking in the theater. Yeah. Like, I, I don't understand that either, you know? Uh, like... You know, real life is is very difficult, David. I've said this on, on more than one <laughs> lesson uh, several times that... Because in, in every, like to be a like a, an okay person in life, you need to be somewhere in between. You can't be the guy who who thinks that everything is an inconvenience, but you also can't be the guy who's just like I'm fine no matter what I do. A sociopath, I think they're called. <laughs> um, you need to be somewhere in the middle, and that means like always holding yourself in check. So like my first thought was, oh, I might be that guy where. I need to have things just so. Mm-hmm. Um, but in telling the story, I realize I'm not that guy. I yeah, I just don't want people to talk or make yeah. a lot of noise. Here's, I think you've made me realize something with that 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 idea of being in the middle. Because the thing that I rail against that I think um, you know people talking during movies is uh, a symptom of, but also people wearing flip flops and sweatpants in public is also a, a symbol of. Uh, I don't like when people. Uh, treat a public space as though it's a private space mm-hmm. when you enter into the public space you're entering into a unwritten social, social contract, contract. Yeah. yes um but that does go both ways 
um, to a certain extent, if I go to a movie or a place, I can't expect things to be as optimal and as quiet as in my living room. Right. Because there are other people around. Something might happen. There's going to be the rustling of a popcorn bag, which annoys me, but I don't say anything about because that's me being crazy. Yeah. Uh, so there is there is a middle ground. We, we both both the talker and the film snob need to realize that you're in a public space. And I will say this, that like I am somebody for, for, for whatever reason, I have like a, I think a very small bladder. All right. Like uh-huh. if I am drinking even just a small Pepsi, chances are after an hour and a half, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom. And so I will duck out. I will apologize to people. I, I will say like, sorry, sorry. As I, as I go past them, I run to the bathroom so and then run back so I don't miss very much. Sorry, sorry. And then I get back to my seat. So now I've I used to do it when I was younger. I've gotten very good at timing my day and like not drinking anything for because I also had the same problem. And and so that's the so I'm always I always feel really bad and I feel like oh these people are very upset with me and then I just realize well I'm not upset with other people when it happens you know when someone has to walk by me because i really don't think someone's like now's my chance to miss the movie and inconvenience somebody <laughs> like no i don't think anybody thinks that and so uh so yeah it's i think having that attitude and just recognizing like yes i can't require that somebody just d- deny what their body desperately needs just so that i can see the screen clearly at all times and I don't have to deal with a split second of somebody walking past me and I have to move my knees to the side. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's uh, being being in the middle, being a, being a moderate film goer, David. It's uh, it's pretty rough. Well, this um, is, is kind of an apt conversation, this idea of how we how we watch movies because we we're talking about the, the sort of actual almost tangible conditions of watching a movie. Mm-hmm. But our topic today is... Um, more about the way that we uh, process and um, and even judge movies. Uh, the The sort of inspiration for today's episode was, um, uh, I guess, a couple or few weeks ago at this point um, on BadassDigest.com, um, a website that I. That you stand behind, right? I really enjoy, um, even as often as I, you know, uh, disagree with the reviews that are written there. Um, I disagree with them in a way that I respect, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there, you know, I think we've had that conversation before. There's a difference between people we think are just wrong about movies and people right. who are who think about them in ways that are wholly meritous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it actually, and there, there there are people. There are times when you can like a movie and someone else likes the movie, but just because you arrive at the same place doesn't mean that you respect how that person got there. Yeah, yeah. But also, and I think there's something as um, a thing we've talked about before. You know, even though we went to film school, I don't feel like I have. I know I haven't stopped learning about movies. I oh, still right. consider myself a student, um, and a big learning tool is. Um, you know, reading good, intelligent reviews that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, um, I know I've quoted the Aaron Sorkin line from Sports Night. You know, um, uh, if you're if you're dumb, surround yourself with smart people, and if you're smart, surround yourself with smart people who disagree with you. I like to think I'm pretty smart, so I like to expose myself to. Not literally expose myself, but uh, I like to be exposed to ideas that are intelligent. You don't agree? What do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, intelligent, but that are that differ from mine. That's well, why I talk to you about religion and politics. Well, it goes, and it's interesting you bring up politics because uh, I was. So I've watched every Republican debate so far. All right? I've watched zero Republican debates okay. so far. I'll say this: if you've seen any three of them, you've seen all of them. Um, but it is kind of, it's, it's interesting, as I've said before, it is kind of political theater and I do kind of have, you know, my, the guy that I, that I like and then the ones that I don't particularly care for. But in watching all of them and then listening to analysis of it afterwards, everyone says that, of course, Mitt Romney's the front runner, which he is and always has been. Um, but they say that, you know, what's good about like Perry coming at him and Bachman and all these people, um, is that it's made him a better candidate. And when I first thought of that, I was like, 
Are you kidding me? Like they've ex- they've exposed vulnerabilities and now less people like him. And it's like, but in exposing those vulnerabilities, it's up to him to get those people Whatever back. Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Absolutely. Or a stranger if you're watching Eon Flux. That was the, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stranger. That yeah, was isn't that flux? It's isn't it also from? Are you doing this on purpose? No, I don't know what you're talking. It's from about. the. It's from Batman. Uh, from the Dark Knight. The Joker says that. Well, I saw Eon Flux well before I saw the Dark Knight. I think. <laughs> I yeah, think I never you, saw the movie Eon Flux. I'm talking about the. There was a movie of that, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, there sure was. <laughs> who who was Eon Flux? I don't remember. Was it Charlize Theron? Maybe, or was that Ultraviolet? Who was that? I don't think that's that's someone else. Where does Mila, Mila Jovovich fit into all this? Uh, somewhere that no one notices. <laughs> um, but I think there was a time, probably after I saw her in that skimpy white outfit in The Fifth Element, that I mm-hmm. thought, ooh, Mila Jovovich should play Ian Flux. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. But no, and so, uh, so uh, as, as, as listeners know... Um, my friends and I like to play the get everything wrong game and uh, where you'll just start to say something like uh, the other day. Uh, and, and the key is if someone starts to correct you, you've won because <laughs> they don't know you're playing the game. Uh, okay. so, so like the other day I made reference to uh, a Christmas tale, the French film. And th- as you know, that's the one with the leg lamp. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, and then the and then the person says yes, and then they continue on. It's like yeah, the leg lamp and uh, and the Marley's ghost, you know, that kind of thing. So you just uh, you just keep going, and the Marley's ghost, right? He's that's the dog, Marley. You know, it's Marley and me, uh-huh. and you just keep going. And uh, now was the, the movie Buffalo Soldiers with Joaquin Phoenix that had something to do with Marley and me, right? <laughs> That might be a little obscure because I haven't <laughs> okay. seen I haven't seen Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, no, I was talking about Bob Marley, and he has a song called Buffalo Soldiers. Oh man, I don't know anything about Bob Marley. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You're better off. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, and so when you said like makes me stranger, and then you said that's from I was like Dark Knight, and then in my head, and then you say yeah, yeah, flux, and I was like ah, uh, what? Wait, is he playing the game and doesn't know? I don't remember him saying that. Yeah, he says it to uh, William uh, Fickner. Oh. It's what he says as he takes his mask off at the in the bank heist. So, yeah. so that's neither here nor there. David. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to badassdigest.com. They've got um, you, now. Do you know? I think um, you 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 might. I'm sure a number of our listeners do. Who uh, I, I don't know how to say it out loud. I've only read it. Uh, Film crit Hulk. It's the. Uh, Film critic who writes in all caps in the style of the Hulk, and the, I think you've told me about this and person. The the I guess joke, but also the thing that makes it so great is that there he writes really, really intelligently, uh, you know, and is very insightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like reading the film crit Hulk stuff, but his first, um, hopefully, it's the last time I had to say that because I don't know if I'm saying it right. It could be crit Hulk, but probably not. I'm going to say film crit Hulk. Um, uh, but the fir- I think it was the first thing he wrote for BadassDigest.com it was him recounting a story from when he was younger. He went to, I guess he was college age, he went to a preview screening of Kill Bill um, and uh, met Quentin Tarantino afterwards and, and talked about some movie. Uh, he think um, I think he said it was anyth- anything else, the Woody Allen movie, mm-hmm. that Quentin Tarantino brought it up and this guy said, oh, I hated that movie. And then Tarantino gave him this sort of like, uh, dissertation or lecture almost mm-hmm. um, not, not not that it was supposed to be a, uh, Tarantino doesn't come across as what's the word I'm looking for pretentious I guess in in this okay. it's a friendly like thing that he's saying you shouldn't hate a movie mm-hmm. and that was sort of the basis for this uh, this piece I, I think people should go find it at badassdigest.com it's, it's really interesting um, but it got me thinking about um Myself and the way I view movies, and I think I do hate movies mm-hmm. uh, sometimes, and I think that I'm okay with that. And so I, I started to consider the source, Quentin Tarantino. Um, he's not a film critic; mm-hmm. he's a filmmaker. Um, 
He does have a very film critic. He does kind of have that sensibility to him. But yes, he I don't is know a that filmmaker. he does. That's what I'm saying because he, I think he maybe consumes he, everything, right? Uh, and I think he. Uh, I should have asked you to read the piece beforehand because this would have uh, spoken to it. Um, he finds something to learn from in everything. That's why he says never hate a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I'm. I, I, I maybe went to film school thinking I wanted to work on uh, the production of movies. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a filmmaker in some way. Um, exposure to actually making films made me realize that that's not for me. That yeah. what I want to be is a critic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you straddle the line because you still write somewhat. Uh, I mean, I, I don't really write scripts or anything. Like okay. I write uh, I write critical stuff oh okay so by critical i mean very important so you're you're, uh okay so that's but i pretty yeah i pretty much moved away from any kind of you uh, and i are in the same boat yeah what what i want to talk about and let's get into it shall we is um what how do we watch films differently as someone as people who have no aspirations toward making them people whose only aspiration is to serve do a public service by being a critic. Uh, and it is a public service because we don't get paid. <laughs> yeah, that's ha- that's half tongue-in-cheek. We could, I mean, we've talked about the role of critics before, but mm. I think that's an episode we should actually do again. Well, uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's available anymore, actually. So Okay. And, but obviously things have changed in our lives. We're more actively critics now yeah. than we were then. Uh, we should do that episode again. Um, how do we watch movies and and what do we learn from movies in a different way than people who want to make films well first i do want to you know what after saying that i that i thought uh, tarantino had a critical sensibility uh i actually upon thinking more about it as you were talking i wasn't really listening but the <laughs> the thought that i that i had is i think you're right i don't think he does have a critical sensibility uh in that on the surface he does in that he just like just as you say he consumes film mm-hmm but I think maybe a, a different way of looking at it is he absorbs film. I think maybe someone. I think critics can consume film, but I think Tarantino absorbs it much like, like the Blob. Uh-huh. Anything it can, anything it absorbs, makes it bigger. So like he brings in film in order that he might be a better filmmaker, or it gives him more tools to work with. Whereas we just take it for what it is. Um, Neither one of them is necessarily better, but yes, it's. This does go back to something that uh, I remember years ago. I saw Transformers with a friend of mine. I would not have seen it uh, on my own, but he said he wanted to see it. And I said, "Oh, sure. Well, let's 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 go see it." So afterwards, I of course did not like it, and he. Uh, why are you laughing at that? I, I haven't seen it, hmm. so I don't know. Why didn't you see it? Uh, I started to watch it. And then you stopped? Yeah. Of course. Okay. Um, sorry, when I'm sick, I lose a lot of nuance. And so... But there are... There, there are, are people that like it, and that's fine. Yeah, there are people. Um, but uh, but nothing about it is the kind of movie that I would enjoy. Although I did like Real Steel more than I should have. Um, I think you might have liked Real Steel even more than I did, which I I thought it was fun, but I, I mostly didn't like it. It's, it's fun, but yeah, I can't say... I would recommend it to certain types of people. The part where the robot is looking at himself wistfully in the mirror is really stupid, right? Yeah, I feel like they don't quite know. Like, So is this robot conscious? Because <laughs> I don't think you know what you're doing here. Anyway, um, but the... Uh, so, like, we went to see it, and afterwards I said I didn't like it, and he said, I, you know, I thought it was pretty good. And I said, I said, yeah, I just, I, and I kind of started listing off some of the stuff I didn't, I didn't like. And he's, he just said, and he, he got rather. This sounds, this sounds maybe a little too negative because I, I, I don't, I won't say defensive, but he kind of, I don't know. His, his defenses went up a little bit as I was talking, and he just said, you know, something that I had heard before, mm-hmm. which is, well, you know, it's like. Michael Bay was working within the studio system, and frankly, he just got the movie, you know, he got a movie made. Like, that's hard enough in itself. Mm -hmm. And the implication, and he's like, and then he said, like, 
You know, he's like, I, I couldn't have made that movie. Could you? And I said, no, I couldn't. And he's like, right. So I feel like we can't criticize him because we couldn't do that. And now this was, this was a friend that, uh, it was an old friend, um, but we weren't necessarily good friends. Like we kind of reconnected when we, when we moved out here, um, uh, separately. And, uh, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to be insulting. Um, and any, anything I could think of to say probably would have come across as insulting, though I didn't necessarily mean it to be, but I couldn't disagree more with what he said. Yeah. I think that was, I talked about how I went to film school thinking I wanted to make movies or at least be involved in the making of them in some way. Uh, and it was among my friends who were in film school who did work on movies, the over the course of the years, the development of that point of view is what made me realize, like, no, nah, I'm never going to be on that side. That doesn't work for yeah. me. Because, I, I, yeah, people, will say, people would say, you know, after what I've learned from making movies at this point, you know, uh, if a movie just gets made, it's it's worth my respect or whatever. And it's like, I mean, to a certain extent, that's, that's true. You, there, you respect the work that went into it from right. all the people. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of people to make a movie, and, and mm-hmm. the, almost none of them actually gets any of their point of view <laughs> across. Right. You know, most of them aren't thinking it, uh, thinking of it as as a work of art because it's a job to them. So I respect that. The people who worked, you know, I mean, God knows the people who worked on Transformers who worked under Michael Bay deserve a lot of respect, if not oh, yeah. a, a day of remembrance <laughs> based on what I've heard about that guy. Um, uh, but uh, at, at, at the at the end of the day, I, I've seen, one of us seems to use that every week, even though I hate it. Yeah. Um, film is not, to me, a commodity. Right. Uh, it's not a thing that once it's done, you say, there it is, it got done, and now you can consume it. You know, it is, uh, I try to think as little as possible about the work that went into it when I'm watching it. Um, and this is, this goes to that, uh, you know, disagreement that I have with, uh, critics that I respect. There are people like, um, uh, uh, Devin who writes for Badass Digest and other people that, um, uh, we've talked to that I, that I really respect. Um, I'm trying to, th- um, I listen to the slash film cast, Devinder Hardwar, mm-hmm. a very intelligent guy. I love hear- hearing him talk about movies. I think he and I have fundamental differences in the way that we value them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's helpful and, and instructive. Um, and I think those are guys who are, um, uh, interested in and take into consideration the process of making the movie in judging the final product. Mm-hmm. My approach to film um is to not think to try not to think about that at all and to judge the yeah. work in front of me because that is the work of art and that's all that I am interested in as a critic in uh in approaching. Yeah, I've said before on the show that as a critic we have the luxury of being idealistic and being purists. Um that's something that a filmmaker doesn't have. Like they can they can go into a movie. I, I I find it hard to believe that they could go into a movie and just judge the product. I think they have sort of have to look at how it was done because you know they can learn from it. And that's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And not for only what from the doing. movie itself, they they uh, should be learning about the process of making it because they're going right. to have to compromise something of themselves since it's a collaborative art form. They're going to have to be pragmatic instead of idealistic. Um, I mean, you hear stories I, about Orson Welles when he came to to Hollywood to make Citizen Kane, and he just watched, you know, uh, Long Voyage Home and Stagecoach over and over again, like learn with Greg Toland and like mm-hmm. learning about the different uh, different lenses and like why someone would choose this over that, and just like he just immersed himself in film purely for educational purposes of how he uh, how on earth am I going to make a movie. And so, you know, and the, the resulting film was Citizen Kane. So mm-hmm. there's, there, I don't think there's anything necessarily, there's nothing wrong with that instinct. Um, provided yeah, you recognize, of it's, about movies. provided you realize it's not the only instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh shit. I was going to say something. I forgot what it was. Sorry. Uh, what, what I'm, what I'm saying is that I don't, it's not that I don't care about the work that goes into making the movie and what you can learn from it in that way. 
Um, but I think we, I mean, we joked a few minutes ago about being a critic as being a public service. Yeah. Um, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but there is a usefulness to criticism. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, uh, my personal opinion, uh, you know, and, uh, today is going to be all about me. uh, This episode's going to be all about me, uh, tempering that and respecting other people's opinions. But Mm -hmm. my personal opinion is that a critic does more good, uh, in the, in the long run, another phrase that is trite, Mm um, but does the, uh, does more good for the future of the art form by discounting all of that and just focusing just and and being idealistic Ag- against all reason being idealistic well the a critic is supposed to be an audience surrogate really i mean i p- people don't often see them that way and i think there are some critics who maybe don't see themselves that way but in in okay what i'm about to say might sound offensive it might sound like i'm getting up on some kind of high horse or anything but i think a critic is an audience member who has chosen to who to demand a lot not merely of film but of themselves mm-hmm. they do that so that frankly you don't have to but in i, I don't know not, that's not that they say you into, shouldn't now we're going to get into how you and i disagree about mm-hmm. criticism because i think that it's completely about audience surrogacy and that uh is that a word um that's right yeah uh and that um i am maybe i am as a critic a surrogate for the absolute best instincts of the audience because i think that i think that all people have it in them to love good film they just need to hold themselves to a higher standard than they've been told for decades now film should be held to i'll be honest with you that's pretty much exactly what i was trying to say except i was reluctant to say it because it made i was worried that it would make me sound like i'm the best you can find you know or anything like that (laughs) no but i I certainly don't think think that i i like i said i think that it's in everyone yeah oh absolutely In, in the same way that i remember uh back in high school and I was directing a play at my church and uh, not everyone involved was an actor. I remember that's when I developed the theory. The theory It might also have been uh, wishful thinking that like everyone can act, right? <laughs> right? Um, but I got some, you know, I got some really good performances out of uh, the performers because they were willing to do it and, you know, they were like, you know, football players who had never done this before and they actually turned in some surprisingly good performances. And so I think if I think people, yes, they do want, they do want quality, even if they don't necessarily know that. And it's the and it is the critic's job to to assume that that's what people want. Mm-hmm. And so, in the sense that the critic is the audience surrogate, audiences don't really dig into how a film was made or what went into it. Right. And what's more is as time goes on. Uh, for some reason, the only movie I can think of is Little Caesar with uh, Edward G. Robinson. Maybe because I made reference to his his voice earlier uh, off mic. Off mic. Yeah. But um, now I don't I don't necessarily love Little Caesar. But what's more, I don't know anything about Little Caesar. I do know that it, it kind of launched uh, Edward G. Robinson as an, as an actor. That's it. That's all I know. And it uh, established the. Uh, Still standing stereotype that gangsters talk like Edward G. Robinson. Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like that's one one more great thing about The Simpsons is they shattered that by having a police officer <laughs> sound like Edward G. Robinson. Uh, and so, so that, okay, Little Caesar. So aside from the the lead actor and kind of what what he did and what it, the effect it had on his career and the effect it had on certain television and, and film stereotypes i don't really know anything about it i i can talk i can only talk about the film on its own and then how it fits into the gangster genre and in that sense i'm really only comparing it to other films mm-hmm. like public enemy and you know white heat and stuff like that um and that's the thing is because as time has gone on who knows? Maybe at the time there are people who are like, oh, did you hear this about Little Caesar? Did you hear that about Little Caesar? Mm-hmm. But that has gone away. Now, there are some films that, like like I mentioned Citizen Kane, where 
a lot of the stuff that went into it is just as big a story as the film itself, and that's kind of unfortunate, I think. But you don't have to know any of that. To you don't have to film. know that. And I, I didn't know any of it the first time I saw the film, you know. That's true. I guess I didn't know much about it either, now that I think about it. I, I knew that it was his first film, and I knew that it was this is pretty neat for someone's first film. But um, And so that's the thing. is like all this other stuff, it will melt away. Like I almost feel like we need to approach film as if it's going to be around forever, which it very well could be. I think that's a very good and, uh, philosophy. And I, I like there's a reason that filmmakers approach the movies they make as if that is their legacy, because that is. That's, that's the only legacy they'll have. There will probably be books written about them. That's fine. But the only reason that book is written about them is because they made these movies. And so... So, yeah, in a way, it might help to think of when you're watching a movie, and maybe subconsciously this is, is what I do, to imagine that I'm watching it 50 years from now. But at the same time that I am well-versed in the politics and in the right. uh, the other films of the same era, and, and just, you know, current events and stuff like that. Because right. I think that plays into how you, uh, how as a critic, you analyze the film. Um, and I think both, I think doing both fits into that idea of being an audience surrogate because I'm glad you, you brought it back. You o- you only know as much as the audience. It, not that you only know that, but you know, an audience is never going to know as much as as someone who is in the film industry pushes themselves to know them to to know about how the film was made. And in that sense like I don't know, a, a critic they're they're somewhere in between like a filmmaker and just a just a pure layman like it goes back to the, what i was talking about before about being kind of walking in between mm-hmm. there but i don't know that i see i would like to step as far away from being a filmmaker uh a, as possible maybe somewhere between a layman and a an art historian or something maybe uh, but but, I, but but we still like in being a filmmaker for example like we went to like we went to film school mm-hmm. we still took basic production classes yeah. because and that helped us to know just the not even necessarily all the quote unquote all the work that goes into it i don't know why i put quotes around that but just it is a lot th- of work. but like that phrase like all the work that goes into it, less that than more just the process of it yeah and, and also I, I think it gave us a a helpful vocabulary you know yeah but I do, I do think it provides you with a little bit of perspective to to have done some of this on your own, mm-hmm. but then to have sort of, but to willingly remove yourself from it. So that's what I mean when I say like in between filmmaker, because we do have some of that training. We have made films on our own, mm-hmm. um, and yet we're not interested in that anymore. So we're actually at this point closer to the audience, but with more information than the average audience member has. By the way, I do realize, and I know that I probably don't need to say this but in talking about this it sounds like we're really putting ourselves up there like well we know more than most people i think we yeah. do know more than most people but that again <laughs> that's not to imply that we think we know everything that's yeah. ridiculous and i also don't uh, again i think i do know more than most people about movies but i don't assume that i know more than most of our listeners about right movies. oh absolutely uh that's uh, to get to a uh, unstated mission statement of the show i've also i've always kind of tried to behave as if the people that are listening know at least as much as i do oh absolutely um but uh this idea of audience surrogate um and again i don't know if this this could go down as i'd love to hear uh, people's uh reactions is this our most pretentious or least pretentious episode ever i don't know whether what i'm saying is incredibly pretentious Dave, it sounds like or, you're headed down a slippery slope or inc- incredibly grounded but this idea you hear often that when, when you're talking, say when you're talking to your friend about Transformers or whatever, um, you said that he said something you hear often. What I thought you were going to say is something along the lines of, can't you just enjoy a movie? Oh, well, I have heard that before. I've yes. heard that I heard that from lot. my dad. <laughs> yeah, and so. I, I hate that. Because um, I... Why do people think I watch movies so often? Yeah. You think it's a chore for me? I love it. I enjoy watching movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it goes back to this idea of I think that people should hold uh, movies to a higher standard than they normally do because I think it's within everyone to understand more about the art that they're uh, 
consuming, be it a movie or whatever other art form uh, you choose, the the more you understand about it and the higher standard you hold it to, the more rewarding it will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to me, I I'm not I'm not a snob who says you should that you should only watch you know. Whatever I don't know. Whatever those kind of people think that <laughs> critics like foreign movies, pretentious movies, yeah, blah, blah, blah. French, black and white, turtlenecks, <laughs> right, obviously. Yes. Um, uh, that's not all. I think I love the Matrix. Mm-hmm. I love the Dark Knight. You know, but I don't love the Adjustment Bureau. Right. Uh, it's not. I'm not dismissing whole genres. I think big budget. You know, uh, studio crowd pleasing movies can be great. Mm-hmm. Um. But I, you know, I I I also think they can be they can be terrible, just like I think uh, foreign and independent movies could be terrible. Most of them are. Uh, a film like uh, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. But if I were if I were the kind of film watcher who enjoyed the Adjustment Bureau as much as I enjoyed the Matrix, I'd be missing out on something in the Matrix because that's a far far better film. Well, and. It, it almost seems as though when people say, can't you just enjoy it, you know, or this is something I've heard before where it's like, well, this isn't like one of those movies where you're meant to think a lot. It's just, you know, it's meant to be, it's, it's just, it's just meant to be enjoyed. It's like, well, just because a movie's meant to be enjoyed doesn't mean it automatically is enjoyable. Like there are plenty of movies that are meant to be enjoyed and actually are enjoyable. I can, I, I'm not comparing, I'm not comparing real steel to in the bedroom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, between those two, there's one that I definitely prefer just as a function of genre but and the type of story. But, like, I compare Real Steel to, you know, other action movies, mm-hmm. and, and I find it better than some, worse than others. Like, you know, you, you compare it to other things, and then you can have your own preference about what you like more. Mm-hmm. And that's how you can – that's how people say, like, well, you can't compare comedy to drama. And it's like, well, I mean, you can as far as your own preference. Yeah, but and and, and, and you also you can to. because it's all the same medium, um, and uh, and I don't know that Real Steel or its ilk is more enjoyable than In the Bedroom and its, its ilk. It's just they're enjoyable in a different ways. It depends I, on how you define enjoy, right? Because just, and to a certain extent, I enjoy Schindler's List. Right. I think a, I think in the sense a of fun like, movie, I think fun is like okay. a movie that is. When people talk about enjoyable or like they talk about a summer blockbuster or something like that, they usually mean fun. And so mm-hmm. um, I just mean that they have different – because, yes, I agree. Like I can I can watch in the bedroom almost any time and really like get a lot out of it and just feel so – I mean we talked about this uh, when, when Jason was on once talking about like overthinking a film uh, if, if there is such a thing. And, um, and the idea of like, well, like as long as I feel engaged with it on – Whatever it is that that film is trying to engage, if I if that felt engaged in me, if a film's trying to make me laugh and I laughed, all right. Mm-hmm. If a film tried to like, if it was trying to thrill me and it did, that's great. If it's trying to like really make me think or feel something, even if it's something negative, or not negative, but just you know unpleasant, um, and it accomplishes that, then it has accomplished what it wants to do, and I feel like I have, I've engaged with the film and so that's a success and it's something that i have enjoyed it hasn't been it's not always fun but it is enjoyable and so yeah i uh i'm not really sure where where i'm headed with this um uh, i I feel this episode is kind of morphed into something different than i had intended but i'm enjoying it by the way um but this idea of um that i i hate that you talked about the Movies that you don't have to think during. Yeah. To me, if I'm, uh, it seems like a movie is more enjoyable if I'm mentally engaged with it while it's happening. Yeah. Uh, I don't want. I'm going to be thinking one way or the other. I might. As, I, I. If I'm not thinking about the film, I'm thinking about how much I don't like the film. <laughs> yeah, I don't want a movie to happen to me. <laughs> you know? We're going to play this movie at you. Is what <laughs> yeah. we're going to do. Uh, which is which is kind of why maybe I didn't like Real Steel quite as much as you did. Although I found parts of it fun. Yeah, uh, there was there was there were a few too many choices that were assaultive. By the me. way, I don't want to play up how much I liked Real Steel. It was a pleasant surprise. I paid three bucks for it, <laughs> and I saw it alone on my day off. Oh, you know what's at the three dollars theater right now? What's that? That I would pay three dollars to see Tower Heist. 
tower heist, right? <laughs> I kind of want to. Yeah. I think that, uh, the, yeah, I don't know if you've talked about it in the past weeks, but I kind of, I want to see Eddie Murphy. I know it's PG-13. It's not exactly 48 hours, but right. I want to see Eddie Murphy not do a family movie. Yeah. And I, it, there's a lot, there's a lot in that movie that I wanted to see. And I remember when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this kind of looks interesting. And then Eddie Murphy popped up and I was like, okay, all right. Uh, and then directed by Brett Ratner, we're like, oh, <laughs> man, you ha- you were really doing yeah. something there. So close. Alan Alda is a villain. I'll, I'll always take that. <laughs> but um, do you think, uh, is there a re- <laughs> is it because Alan Alda's uh, politics are so well known uh, as a liberal that he gets cast as conservative so often? <laughs> you know, like Maybe. The Aviator, The West Wing. Yeah, I don't uh, know. It's This, it seems like. But even though his politics are a little bit closer to the character he plays on Thirty Rock, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, and I love, I love how the much they've. It's a testament to Thirty Rock that they've made that character as ridiculous as he is, and Alec Baldwin's character as cool as he is. Uh-huh. Considering that I'm sure the people that write it and the people that are in it are completely sympathetic with one over the other, but um, but to yeah, to go back like it's. And yeah, I feel like we have maybe strayed a, a little bit um, well, from the original the original topic, but um, well, that's okay. We had to wrap up soon anyway because it's yeah. And so, late. so it goes back to this this idea, and and I I can't emphasize enough that I'm not saying that one approach is better than the other. Like a filmmaker, by all, to me, I have the freedom to just go in and enjoy a movie, and just and not and because you live in America, that's right. Damn it. <laughs> so far. President Obama. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that's supposed to mean. Anyway, um, by the way, I know that I have said that I'm getting more conservative. Jokes like that are meant to only be jokes. I don't actually think that. Um, I don't think that President Obama's trying to keep me from liking movies. So, um, so like I, I have the, I have the freedom to just go in and watch a movie completely on its own, and and, and enjoy it and. And not think about it. And when I say not think, I mean not stand outside of it and analyze it. I can just enjoy it and think about it afterwards. Or, like, analyze it afterwards. Although it's both both of them are happening at the same time. Yeah, I think I'm usually analyzing movie while I'm watching it. Whereas, like, I don't know. I remember people said, like, it's like, can you even, you know, can you even watch movies anymore? And they didn't say it in that insulting, like, can you even enjoy movies? They mean, like... You know, after going to film school, I mean, do you only just see the way the film is made? And I consider myself very fortunate that no, that mm-hmm. is, I can still just go in, get swept up in the characters, and, and, think, and I'm probably go ahead. Interrupt you. I think that is maybe because uh, I know there's um, a stereotype that people who are, who are critics are failed filmmakers, and the fact that you and I both went to film school might, and uh, might uh, lead. I didn't have a discipline. That. I didn't have a discipline. <laughs> right, um, but. Uh, I think the fact that you and I weren't affected in that way is maybe a testament to the idea that we were all along more suited to criticism than filmmaking. Uh, yes, that, certainly. That the, the reason we failed to become filmmakers, if you want to use that term, is because we probably wouldn't have been great at it in any way. And I lack discipline as a writer. <laughs> but uh, it's... Yeah, and, and I feel like... I feel like uh, you know any any filmmaker who goes into a into a movie i'm not saying they have to uh, they're expected to watch a movie in a certain way but i feel like with them like i i find myself wondering if tarantino can even to go back to that if he can even help going in and just immediately being like oh my gosh there's so much i can learn from this but not talking about the ways in which like the like the film touches you but the the process and the mechanism of it. I'm sure he can still pr- appreciate it on that level as well, but I think for the same reason that he says, like, I can't, I could never hate a movie. It's like, you can, mm-hmm. but for reasons of, like, your profession, you feel like you can't. I'm glad you brought it back to that, and that's probably a good place to, to wrap up. Um, and I want to, after all this, again, this has been me, like, uh, I, there is a word that I am so close to uh, that I that I can't I can't seem to pull, but uh, I've I've been less uh, stringent in my ideals this episode mm-hmm. can, because that's how I feel. I think I think that I'm right, but I'm open to the idea that others are right too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just like uh, it, it, along those same lines, I think that 
the our our thesis of the way that film critics watch movies versus the way that filmmakers watch movies i think on that venn diagram there's more overlap than not oh yeah what we're really talking about is just sort of the the things at the edges the slight differences right and i think way. both stem from just a, an absolute love of uh, of the medium and uh and i will actually say and i've said this on the show before but i don't think i've said it in a long time um you know tarantino says that he can't hate a film and i've and and I know that you might know where I'm headed with this. I have pretty much removed the word boring from my lexicon when it comes to describing a film. And there are films that I watch and I find myself not particularly interested in. But when that happens, I do kind of fall. Then I, I'm, it, I've usually been taken out of the film. And at that point, it's like, okay, well... That's not necessarily my fault. The film did not keep me engaged, so now I'm content to sit back and start really thinking about why I'm not thinking, why I'm not oh, watching go. the film. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, like, you can, so even if the film is not interesting to you, you there's always something that you can get out of it. And <laughs> the, I believe the joke that I made at the time when I first brought this up on the show is that, you know, sometimes, uh, I mean. Sometimes you hate a movie. Hate is never boring. Like <laughs> hate and extreme anger. Oh man, they keep you going. Uh-huh. You know, and so, so actually, you know, I feel like that's kind of my version of what he's saying. I feel like he could say a filmmaker should never hate a movie because he could get a lot out of it. You know, you could see those terrible epic movie date movie films uh, and get like, okay, now I know what it takes to make a parody, and it's not this. Right. Um, I don't know. Those are those, those movies that I don't like at all. I don't even like them a little bit. Right. Uh, but I don't know those are the movies that, that I hate. What I usually I hate something if it like. I just tried to I pick ones it, that seem like they have absolutely no artistic merit, but a filmmaker yeah, could still get something out of them. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Um, whereas I don't think I can get anything as a critic. I can't get anything out of out of those movies. I don't think. But I can get out of something out of the movies that I actually do hate, which are things that tend to maybe. Uh, offend me or that I find overly cynical mm-hmm. um, uh, Gus Van Sant's Restless a movie earlier this year uh, I think I I think I came pretty close to hating oh, that movie oh that's right yeah um, uh, be, because I found it so morally <laughs> offensive and uh, using death and terminal illness as uh, almost an affectation as mm-hmm. opposed to an actual subject to explore that's the sort of thing I hate I'm trying to think. I don't think there have been any. There are movies. Of course, there's the movies that are lowest on my list. But I don't think there have been any movies that I just hate. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think the, at the very bottom is a film called Immigration Tango, which is a very very small film. Um, I, I don't know when it was released. Now, oh, like this is another. Maybe this is a topic for another day. Okay. But um, do you sometimes feel bad based on everything we've said? You're allowed to really dislike a film. Do you sometimes feel bad? really disliking a film that you know is a small thing like that, maybe a passion project, you you know, should I, should I feel bad for how much I dislike Sympathy for Delicious, Mark Ruffalo's film, because it clearly, like, meant a lot to him? I might feel bad, but that doesn't necessarily mean, and and here's the thing, I would be, like, I'll be more, I'll probably be a little more biting in a review of, say, Season of the Witch, Uh because, you see that they probably had a pretty sizable budget, not a huge budget, and you can tell actually in that movie, but a pretty sizable budget with really strong actors in it and potential in that story, and they squander it. That is something that's like, all right, assholes, get back, <laughs> get back to work. And I know that sounds mean, but like, I, I have no problem doing that. I can say... It, get ready for a lashing from my pen. Keyboard. But um, whereas a, a smaller film, I can still say this is is bad. I do not recommend it. But I don't have to be, you know, mean. Yeah, like it's one to be. It's one thing to just be like, well, that wasn't very good. It's another one to just be like deeply disappointed. Which is usually, if I come close to hating a movie, it's because it's because there's a certain degree of laziness or kind of the idea of something being phoned in. Um, and I guess that kind of goes to what you're saying about uh, a certain cynicism. Right. They yeah. just feel like yeah. we don't need to work in order to make people like this. They'll just like it because that's how they are. 
people are cattle, you know. And anytime I get the vibe of that, um, whether whether artistically or thematically, because mm-hmm. um, it happens with themes too, they'll just like spoon feed you this thing and just be like, "Yeah, what get, you're gonna fight against it? I'm sorry, uh, we knocked down this straw man quite effectively." <laughs> um, and so that's that. Well, that's how it goes too. back to. I think we were talking couple months ago about sweet home alabama and how much i hate the idea of the <laughs> the theme quote unquote that like small time small town american life is more authentic or valuable than city life yeah when you know the people who finance the movie and make the movie don't believe that not they all. live in the cities yeah they would not touch any of these characters <laughs> with a 10-foot pole all right before we repeat ourselves too much more uh let's wrap up um you can find us at battleshippretension.com where there are uh, there is a, just a constant output of of reviews, both theatrical and home video, and and some other uh, other features like our movie recommendations, um, uh, James Bond features uh, mm-hmm. by 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 Kyle, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> um, and and, and other sure stuff. He'll appreciate that. Well done. Uh, I I get sometimes I get confused over who wrote what. I'm sorry. fair enough. Um, uh, this week, there will be a review of Thomas Alfredson's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy up on the website before the uh, before the movie comes out. So uh, look for that. In the meantime, you can read what's all the, uh, already there and listen to the uh, uh, podcast, both from the website or in iTunes, where you can subscribe or write us a review. You can email us at tyler at battleshippretension.com or david at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension or follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And uh, speaking of More Than One Lesson, David, uh-huh. um, we had a bit of a break, a uh, little three-week break, uh, but we just released uh, an episode about uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Oh, that movie came up. It did, yes. Yeah, whatever and, doesn't uh, kill you makes you stranger. Yeah, and I, when you when you said Aeon Flux, I was like, oh, if he's that's why I was so taken aback because it's like, oh, he's going to say Dark Knight. Now I can talk about uh, the episode. No, <laughs> all right. Um, but when are uh, you guys going to do an episode on Aeon Flux? Oh boy, two weeks from now, I got to say. But um, anyway, so we we talk I think about Aeon Flux might be a little more Buddhist than Christian. We can don't make it work. Okay, um, you know a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Uh, in uh, Dark Knight is very uh, Nietzschean, mm-hmm. Nietzschean, and nihilistic, and we wind up talking about. That guy uh, was a big, big fan of God, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, but we uh, we wind up talking about sort of the Joker's philosophy, and then we compare the the companion film is Lord of the Flies, uh, the Peter Brook film from the '60s, and uh, it's a fil- it's it's an episode that um, I was uh, kind of dreading putting together because it might actually it could potentially offend people. Um, but I'd like to I'd like people to listen to it and see what they think. So I love it. There you go. How many uh, people sent in MP3s of their impressions of us? Nobody. <laughs> we must. This be, is really bothering me. We must be unmockable. How how much? How much do I have to play up that freaking intro for you to do an impression of me? <laughs> Hello and welcome aboard the, that. Are you? Li- do you listen to me, <laughs> David? Look, all right, just do like some kind of mush mouth thing, and everything's fine. But like, come on, yeah, yeah. What you need to do, to do me is to mumble, to talk too fast, yeah. and to speak in run on sentences with uh, clauses that complete that continuously double back on themselves, right? And it's then pretty just, easy to do, I think. Yeah, get your friends, get your friend in here. All right, <laughs> do have him be like. Basically, just do mumbles from Dick Tracy, uh-huh. and then then do Zap Brannigan from uh, <laughs> from Futurama, and you've got Battleship Pretension. Okay, there you go. I'm tired of not getting this. <laughs> um, my other podcast, the weekly television review show, previously on is it previously on Show dot com or in iTunes? Is that it? Uh, is that all I say? Yes, I believe so. Oh, oh please. Uh, there's there's always a donate button on the website. We could we could use it. We sure could. Yes, absolutely. As as uh, we haven't said this in a while, but uh, we recently purchased some new equipment. Recently, in the last several months, um, you know, a new laptop, new microphones, and it has enabled us to really do some neat things. And in fact, uh, 
Uh, I believe Jack had an interview with a filmmaker using a little uh, portable. Re- uh, he ended up using his own, but yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we. Ha- but the thing, your your reports from Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we we can do more more stuff like that. We'll hopefully we'll have more interviews with with filmmakers and, and people mm-hmm. like that uh, in the podcast feed. So going forward. But yeah, that all takes uh, some money. Yeah, and so uh, and we, we have to bribe the filmmakers to be on the show. Oh, no question. Um, man, can you imagine? But. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, we we appreciate everybody that has donated so far, and uh, and if you you know a- any amount helps, and uh, we offer you know a one time donation, or you can offer to uh, you can sign up for the donation subscription. That's like two, four, six, ten, or sixteen dollars a month, and uh, you know you can you can decide which of those you want. But we appreciate uh, everybody that has donated, and and all of our listeners in general. That's some, and incidentally, this is something that Dave and I have been talking about, uh, is that there are times when, in all honesty, like the, the podcast is something of a, not necessarily a chore, but it's like, it's a, it's an obligation. It's a thing that we need to do and we always enjoy it. But then there are other times when, you know, a little two month stretch or something when it's just like, man, I love talking about movies. And, uh, and I'm kind of in the middle of one of those right now. And I think David is too. We were talking about it last week. Yeah, we're we're both really into this yeah. right now. And but the so, thing is, okay, there's a saying that I hate. Okay. People say, if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. No, that's bullshit. Because no matter what you're doing, the fact that you have to get up and do it every day oh, yeah. is sometimes going to be an inconvenience. Yeah. And so we made a commitment four and over four and a half years ago to do one of these a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we skipped a week and had to make it up later. Yeah. But it works out yeah. uh, to, to, to one a week. And... Um, I'm sure anyone else who does a thing regularly, especially it's something they don't get paid for, can relate to the idea that sometimes you don't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, but but we do it. You know why? For you, the listener. For you, the listener. Okay, well, I wasn't intending on making it a guilt trip, but what I was trying to say <laughs> is that uh, is that you know we actually do really love doing this, and, uh, and so we appreciate everybody who comments, everybody who emails us, everybody who donates, uh, and uh, I don't know. It's... it's uh, you guys really make doing this uh, pretty cool. So, anyway, thanks for doing. Thanks for uh, listening and supporting us. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.